Hi, welcome to the Healing Through History podcast. This is your host, Sean Bundarker. We've all heard about insulin. For the millions of people that live with diabetes, it's a life-saving medication. To briefly explain how insulin works, insulin is a peptide hormone. That means it's a protein that is produced by beta islet cells in our pancreas. When glucose levels in our blood are high, we call that high blood sugar or hyperglycemia, insulin is released by our pancreas to stimulate glucose intake out of the blood into cells, or it stimulates glycogen formation. You can think of glucose as a coin, a currency for energy. Glycogen would be like keeping a bunch of those coins in a coin wrapper, which we can break apart later when we just spend or use some of that energy. Uptaking glucose in the cells or forming glycogen reduces blood sugar levels. This is what many of our bodies are naturally capable of. But this inbuilt glycemic control system fails in the case of diabetes. Some diabetics cannot naturally produce insulin, while the bodies of others resist insulin. In either case, synthetic insulin, so as a medication, is vital for several diabetics in order to maintain normal blood sugar levels. In the case of some diabetic emergencies, called hyperglycemic emergencies, having access to insulin can be a matter of life or death. On the other hand, hypoglycemic emergencies, when you have abnormally low blood sugar, may actually be precipitated by taking insulin. If you take too much insulin or you eat too less food before taking insulin, you may very well fall into hypoglycemia. We'll come back to this concept later, but for now, it's interesting to note that a lot of time is being invested into technologies that fine-tune insulin delivery based on an individual patient's current glucose levels. For example, insulin pumps are wearable devices that are recently being coupled with glucose monitors to deliver an exact amount of insulin for a patient whenever and wherever they need it. Unfortunately, however, list prices for insulin have skyrocketed in past years, almost tripling over the past decade. Out-of-pocket prescription costs have become prohibitively expensive, and this affordability issue persists despite the fact that many patients are enrolled in private insurance plans or federal programs like Medicare. In fact, this problem is so profound that many patients have started rationing their insulin. A recent study of urban diabetes centers showed as many as a quarter of patients reporting cost-related underuse of insulin. And again, remember that prescribed dosages are very carefully considered for proper regulation of blood sugar for glycemic control. If you tip the scale too much in either direction, that can mean a higher likelihood for hyperglycemic or hypoglycemic emergencies. This is all far from ideal for a medication that almost 9 million Americans rely on a regular basis. And this price gouging is not what the discoverer of insulin had in mind. 
Canadian physician scientist Sir Frederick Banting was hailed as a hero in 1920 for his isolation and extraction of insulin to help those diagnosed with diabetes, which was a death sentence at the time. He is famously known to have said that insulin did not belong to him, it belonged to the world. With the best of intentions in mind, he and his colleagues at McLeod Labs sold the patent for insulin in 1923 to the institution they worked at, the University of Toronto, for a measly $1. Get that, $1. But of course, this one university simply did not have the resources to meet the national and even the global demand for insulin. And so, they sold the rights to a pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly. And here we are now, Banting's idyllic vision for an equitable distribution of insulin to the world, whereas now millions of diabetics are skimping on their medications, while many others, especially those from uninsured and historically vulnerable populations, being left without access to a life-saving drug. And for what? All in the name of profit? We'll revisit this theme of drug affordability throughout the podcast in more depth. But the history of insulin has another dark side to it that I need to tell you about. And as we'll do many times on this podcast, it's best to understand medical history from the source. A patient narrative. On the night of December 26th, 1951, the McLean Psychiatric Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts resounded with painful screeches and sobbing. There was no lingering holiday cheer to be found. A flood of sweat and tears ran down the face of one patient, Don Weitz. He twitched uncontrollably in his bed and reached out in vain for the orderlies, the head nurse, or just about anyone to free him from his suffering. He continually begged as he slipped more and more into, into a rabid hunger. I can't take this any longer. It's too unjust. I'm not strong enough. After some time, salvation seemed to finally arrive for Whites with the nurse. The nurse briefly examined Whites for the first time after he was injected with 75 units of insulin five hours prior. The nurse updated his medical charts to document his dramatic calls for help. The nurse simply scribbled down two words as a concluding note of the situation before promptly leaving. Mild perspiration. White seethed following this dismissal of strife. He started hurling furniture around his room, venting as he replayed in his mind the day his parents and sister conspired to commit him to McLean Hospital without his consent. The nurse did not communicate the risks or the side effects of this massive insulin injection either. Such a task was deemed irrelevant by the presiding physician, Dr. Douglas Sharp. Dr. Sharp and the staff of the renowned McLean Hospital claimed to be at the forefront of medical innovation with a procedure known as insulin shock therapy. However, behind closed doors and empty rhetoric, Sharp's ambitions did not match up with the crippling impacts of the procedure on his patients. Austrian psychiatrist Manfred Sackel first developed insulin shock therapy in 1927. Sackel's procedure mandated an injection of an excessive dosage of insulin as Uh, we know already, to induce hypoglycemic shock, a rapid decrease of glucose circulating in the blood. Possibility of the patient slipping into a coma at sufficient dosages accompanying these shocks, yet Sackle deemed the comas as a necessary component of his overall treatment plan. 
After an extended period of time, the nurses would then terminate, this is the term used, patient's insulin shocks with glucose injections or snacks rich in sugar. Patient pleas and expression of discomfort throughout the duration of the procedure, such as in White's experience, were dismissed as manifestations of their underlying mental pathologies, as you know, hallucinations or something of the like. Sackle first implemented the procedure on a morphine addict in Vienna and later applied the procedure to a broader spectrum of mental illnesses. Sackle and his pupils then spread knowledge of this technique across the globe until the procedure found a niche in American treatment of schizophrenia during the late 1930s. Insulin shock therapy almost inexplicably evolved from this fringe medical discovery into a first-line treatment for schizophrenics at mental hospitals nationwide throughout the 1940s. While the treatment only seemed to be a temporary vogue, given it was pretty much completely discredited in the late 1950s, I think the rise of insulin shock therapy provides deeper insights into the state of the fields of psychiatry and medicine, as well as insights into public considerations about mental health at the time. American psychiatrists embraced insulin shock therapy owing to a movement to legitimize psychiatry as a real branch of medicine. See, insulin was this kind of medical silver bullet, much like penicillin was regarded at the time. Using a biological compound of insulin in the field of psychiatry meant that psychiatry could be elevated to a level of respect granted to other medical specialties at the time. And we especially have to consider the time period we're talking about here, with the world wars showing the depths of human capacity for violence and growing mental health struggles for veterans. President Truman signed the National Mental Health Act into law in 1945. Clearly, public consciousness about the importance of mental health, about insights into the human psyche, were growing. This new spotlight on mental health sparked a radical plunge into medical experimentation with treatments like insulin shock therapy and electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, being devised by psychiatrists. Now, insulin shock therapy is a relatively less discussed saga in medical history, yet the practice has found its way into some media. If you've watched House MD, there's actually an episode where Dr. House desperately injects himself with insulin to induce insulin shock and to get rid of his hallucinations of a deceased colleague. Season 5, episode 23, if you're curious. But how should we reconcile this history of the use of insulin with the proud tale of medical innovation that we're usually told? Well, I don't think insulin shock therapy completely detracts from the clinical utility of insulin in modern medicine today. Yet, there is a lesson here. The perversion of insulin use is a reflection of the unbridled ambitions of psychiatrists in the 20th century. Throughout the annals of medical history, medical marvels like insulin seem to have a habit of being turned into medical nightmares. That's the bittersweet truth about insulin. Thanks for listening.